Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Connections and Directions, our University of Michigan Civil and Environmental Engineering podcast. My name is Michelle Santillian, and I am the CEE Marketing Communications Specialist and host of this series. During our podcasts, we are featuring members of our CEE community and how their work reflects our mission of engineers in service to society. We will be highlighting our strategic directions and our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. CEE's five strategic directions are human habitat experience, shaping resource flows, adaptation, automation, and smart infrastructure finance. Our guest for this podcast is Professor Sharif Al-Tawil. He received his BS and MS degrees from Cairo University and his PhD from Cornell University. Professor Al-Tawil's main research interest is in natural and man-made hazard mitigation, for example, due to earthquakes, blast, and impact. He has a broad portfolio in convergent and multidisciplinary research that addresses how structural and more generally infrastructure systems respond to extreme events. Professor L. Tuwil has conducted research in structural failure, human decision-making, social interactions during extreme events, and the use of agent-based models for egress simulations. Much of his research is directed toward the computational and theoretical aspects of hazards engineering. Professor L. Tuwil, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. Please share with our listeners some details about your research area and goals and how they align with CEE's strategic directions and our mission of engineers in service to society. Well, um, I would think of my research as disaster engineering. And what we try to do in my research group is to mitigate the effect of these events that we know will happen, either due to man-made action or due to natural events. Uh, we've seen in the news uh, what is happening in terms of the, the various natural events that are becoming or appearing to become more severe due to climate change. We also know that there's a lot of turmoil around the world that is also leading to some of these uh, man-made disasters. So in both cases, our objective is to manage the outcome of the disaster itself to minimize death and injury and uh, destruction um, to property. Is there a specific example in recent um, in recent weeks or recent months where you could cite this is an example of something that we're really trying to mitigate? So I would I would think of some of the hurricanes that have ha- that are happening now with regularity that appear. Like, for example, Puerto Rico has lost power uh, over the entire island just uh, just yesterday or the day before yesterday. Uh, also, Pakistan, a third of the country has flooded. And what happens with these events uh, and what we try to look at are the cascading uh, interactions that happen between the infrastructure systems of society. So when you lose power, the power affects the water systems. And the water systems also affect the electrical system because that is sometimes used for cooling uh, electrical equipment. Equipment. And the flooding affects the transportation system. And it affects, for example, the use of emergency capabilities uh, when, when those are needed. So all of these things interact together. And we spend a lot of time trying to understand how to model the relationship between them. 
And can you cite a specific example in your own research where you have gone in and assisted with mitigation efforts in recent times? We have not because th that um, that is usually the, the realm of specialized uh, people who are embedded in some of these uh, response teams. So I've thought about it over the years to participate in one of those teams, but um, I have not taken steps to do that. So for example, there are, I think, I believe, uh, I don't want to cite the number, but there are a number of large teams that go out from the U.S. to disaster areas to help with situations um, that are beyond some of the capabilities of local governments. Um, one of, or several of these teams are, are very specialized in earthquake engineering, which is one of my areas of research. But again, these teams are kind of like they train on a regular basis, and, and a lot of the members of those teams are not only structural engineers, but also firefighters and police uh, and I, like I said, I've thought about it, but I have never taken a step to do so, so far. And how did you become interested in your area of study? Was mm -hmm. there a course you took or a specific personal experience you had that led you to explore this topic in depth? So I would, I would say that, uh, you know, by training, I'm a structural engineer, but over the years, my research has really evolved to d disaster management and disaster engineering at the infrastructure level. Um, in the past, for, for example, for my PhD, I used to focus on structural components and how they would respond to impact or local, um, local extreme forces. But now I look at the, the effect of, of a disaster at the city level, for example, and how a building might collapse, how that might affect the roadway next to it, and how that affects the transportation system, and how that all these things cascade with respect to one another. Um, I think there's one component that I haven't mentioned that I'm really interested in, which motivates a lot of this, and that is the effect on people, the human component. And so I think of these systems as socio-technical systems, and one of my most interesting and exciting uh, projects pertained to a fire that happened in Rhode Island. It was called the Station Nightclub Fire. It is well known. There were 400 people in a nightclub. Uh, there was a pyrotechnic event, and the fire... Uh, went so fast, it, it happened so quickly that about 100 people died in 90 seconds. And so how, what was the decision making that they made? How did they egress from a situation like that? Um, so the interaction of the people within the environment they're in, seeing the you know smoke and fire coming towards them was one of the projects that I worked actually quite a bit on. And, and, and that work was done with a social scientist, and I learned a lot from, from him. And it, you know, the issues pertaining to leader-follower behavior, if you don't know information, do you follow leader? Does the leader know that, that there are followers? And if you have loved ones close to you, what do you do? Do you go to them or do you escape? Those are you know, dramatic and very sad decisions that people have to make. And one of the most, uh, I think, um, interesting things to me that I found from my research, aside from, you know, I, do, I don't want to dwell on how sad it is, but people who are in larger groups and they have loved ones have a much higher chance of actually succumbing than people who are independent or able to take action quickly. Um, and so, you know, that eventually blossomed into my, my research on how the various infrastructure systems interact together. And I consider people to be part of that in their human decision. The human decision making as part of a disaster is one of the things that we do consider in our work. So that's the origin of, you know, of why I'm interested in these systems and the interactions that happen between them. And really, the human decision making can make a difference as to whether someone successfully escapes that type of situation or, as you said, of sadly course. succumbs. Of course. So.
And you know, the other thing too is is knowledge as well. So people who tended to know the layout a little bit were among the first people out. When you're in a big unfamiliar place and you know you it's dark and it's smoky and people around you don't know what they're doing and you do not know either, that's when things become quite dangerous. And with regard to your background and mm -hmm. what you've studied, um, how are you parlaying that into any courses that you might be teaching this mm -hmm. semester? Mm -hmm. um, and do you have ideas for additional courses in this area down the road? Yes. So uh, I'm teaching right now structural analysis. This is one of my favorite uh, courses to teach. This is the first course where students start to feel what engineering is. They don't really do design, but they understand why we're doing the analysis for the purposes of design. So um, this is a, a really cool class, and I think students enjoy it, and I enjoy teaching it as well. Um, so any infrastructure component is made up of structures, and all these structures are the ones that are impacted when a hazard occurs. Um, other classes that I've taught that are perhaps related to the research area that I'm talking about is the finite element class. That tells me uh, how a structural system that is, say, impacted by a truck or if there is fire or if there's an earthquake, how that responds under those extreme loading effects. Um, I've also taught the earthquake engineering class in the past um, and also taught design classes. But I think the, the main ones really are like the finite element class, how and how structures respond under extreme loading conditions. Have you looked at 9-11 and what happened to the World Trade Center in light of all of the research that you've been doing, as well as human responses? Yes. So that is a really good question, and I think that's probably worth a whole interview by itself. But 9-11, of course, uh, was the genesis of a lot of research on what we call progressive collapse. And I was one of the first people to work in this area, the progressive collapse area, because, I again, that was one of the events, again, that I... that inspired me to look in this direction, and others too, of course. Um, so I wasn't directly involved in the 9-11 it, uh, event itself, like modeling how the structure collapsed, but in how we design our buildings to prevent what we call progressive collapse. Now, let me define that. Progressive collapse is when a structural system collapses completely when you lose one member, when you when you have a small amount of damage causing a lot of damage um, leading to the collapse of the entire building, that's what we call progressive collapse. Um, thankfully, this is rare, and it has happened very recently, though, with the, with the flo in, in Florida, with the Miami buildings. Again, that is a, a, a very classic case where uh, what appears from the videos to be a local collapse due to corrosion led to the collapse of the entire building and the death of 100 people who were actually in their beds. So, um, the 9-11 event uh, inspired a lot of my research in the progressive collapse uh, region and really got me interested in the extreme loading events, which eventually led to some of my other research areas on, okay, if it's not blast or impact or earthquake or fire, there are other things like the hurricanes. And again, that got broader with terms when I look at the different types of infrastructure systems. And how do you incorporate diversity, equity, and inclusion in your research and your courses? So, not all, you know, I never thought about this before until I recently figured it out. But as civil engineers and, and civil environmental engineers, we are we are extremely influential in how um, diversity, equity, and inclusion is considered within our communities. 
So, for example, you're making the decision to build a new bridge. Where is it going to go? Um, it's easier to put it next to a resource-constrained resource community than in the middle of an, of an affluent community. But by doing so, what you've done is that you've assured for many years to come, the people there will have a lot of traffic, they will have a lot of pollution, and that propagates their problems and causes you to get into a vicious cycle where the, the resources are constrained, you have things that are making it harder for you to go to your job, and there, therefore your resources become even more constrained. And it seems that, you know, that happens also in terms of um, your maintenance of structures. Uh, communities like these will have lower and worse maintenance of their infrastructure than more affluent communities. Again, it propagates the idea that, okay, if your roads and bridges are bad, then you cannot conduct your business as well. And, you know, it's just a vicious cycle that keeps going. And so that realization over the past few years has forced me and interested me to consider some of those issues within my research. And it, it is, you know, disasters tend to strike people who are not as fortunate as others in terms of being wealthy enough. And again, that's something that we do look at carefully within our research as well. And it's harder to rebound from a disaster financially when, of course. when you're already yes. not in a solid financial situation. Y yes. So not only are you hit harder, but it is harder for you to recover, exactly as you said. It's a double whammy. What aspect, I know we've talked a lot about mm -hmm. some of the sadder aspects of, of uh, um, what you do in some of the um, situations that occur, but what aspect of your job, I should say, <laughs> brings you the most joy? Yes, I, I think that the most joy in my, in my job is interacting with students. I mean, students have so much energy at all the levels, undergraduate and graduate. The, the stimulation of the ideas I get from them is really what makes this uh, job so um, so interesting and why I would keep coming day and over day to hear. I think just the innovation that I see plus the feelings that people are so excited to learn, those are the two things uh, that really um, influence me the most. I think that at some level, I feel that I'm doing something really important when we say we do, when we understand how a structure collapses and eventually that work gets codified into building specifications and save future people from the same plight that you know the plight that pe people in the past had that's that's when I also feel a lot of satisfaction that you know we can change the outcome of disasters that happened in the past by better understanding how they led to the situation that happened. So that that, that is another big deal uh, that pertains to my job. Mm -hmm. So touching on that, in a way, um, California has made their building code stricter, I'm sure, mm -hmm. due to research from people such as yourself. And are there any other positive um, results like that that you might be able to cite specifically? Yes, yeah, so um, some of my work right now focuses on how um, trucks when they, when they lose control and they hit a barrier um, and then they're redirected into traffic. The design of that barrier is something that I very recently, me and my group have been looking at. And um, I think that also influences um, safety because bringing a truck back and making sure that it is, um, it is able to, if it breaches the barrier, it goes into the other lane, the incoming lane and can cause a lot of damage. So that work is also eventually going to make its way into the specifications for bridge design. And that's another thing that I'm very proud of as well. Is there anything that you would like to add? I would like to add that um, as civil and environmental engineers, we're very aware that the world is changing. Um, and for because of that, we know that adaptation is one of our most important priorities. 
Um, there will always be disasters, there will always be challenges, but human ingenuity and civil environmental engineering ingenuity in, it, in particular uh, is going to be able to solve that into the future. I have no doubt of that. Thank you for listening to our podcast conversation. For more information about CEE at Michigan, please visit our website at cee.umich.edu. You can also reach our YouTube channel and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages from our website.